Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. This is Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup. Now in our second decade of bringing you the best independent New York Red Bulls news and opinion. With your hosts, Mark Fishkin and Joe Goldstein. New York shows well against Philly but concedes twice after halftime and drops a 2-0 decision to the Eastern Conference leader. It's seeing red, the New York Soccer Roundup tonight. We'll go inside the match at Red Bull Arena, yet another home loss, but certainly reasons to feel decent about uh, holding Philly for most of the night. We'll give our bill of the night. Have to talk about what happened with Drew Yearwood in the waning moments of the match. We'll set up the Eastern Conference, where things stand, with just a few matches to play. We'll preview New England's visit to the Red Bulls Saturday at 6 p.m. We'll go around the East. Our guest tonight is Red Bulls midfielder Daniel Edelman, making his Seeing Red debut. And then some emails as well. It's Mark Fishkin. I'm flying solo tonight. Uh, Joe Goldstein got pulled away at the last minute. Joe, we hope everything's just fine in your world. Well... Last week against Philadelphia, New York was the better team in the first half, but a few second-half mistakes were the difference in the 2-0 loss, like failing to close down Jack McGlynn outside the box. Um, Passing from the back line straight into the defensive midfield is never a good idea, and Kyle Duncan was guilty uh, about 12 minutes later, and that was really it. And it's a shame because on the night that Red Bulls were doing a lot of things right up until the goals. Um, Lukinius was a little unlucky, but a few things were pretty clear after after the match. One is that Philly, like New York, knows how to turn your mistakes into goals that go into your net. Um, and second, that New York really doesn't have the lethal forwards like Ura who can punish you um, and score from difficult angles. And the differences between the two teams were really clear. Andre Blake as well had a fantastic night. And I had hoped going into the match, and we talked about it last week, that the Red Bulls would have sent a message to Philadelphia with their play. And maybe you can make the argument that they did at times, because I thought that, especially in the first half, they were forcing the issue and they were generating a little bit more and they looked like the better team. But as we know... The challenge for New York this year is sustaining that type of play for an entire match. Um, so maybe they did send a message. At the end of the day, you know, the Red Bulls haven't beaten the Union in nine straight tries. And maybe they'll get another shot this year. Uh, I, I don't know how unsure, uh, I don't know how sure Jim Curtin is concerned, though. I think that um, he has his team pumping on all cylinders. And, I, you know, while they certainly wouldn't be disrespectful to to the Red Bulls if the teams met again in the postseason. I mean, after Philly lost to NYC with a COVID-altered roster in the playoffs to D.C., after they lost to NYC in last year's playoffs, the team has been on a mission all year long. And so I think they're, they're, 
they're great shots to to get through the Eastern Conference, and and what happens then remains to be seen. Uh, with the loss, the Red Bulls stay in third place in the East, and they were helped tremendously by New York City's home, and I use that term, um, you know, abstractly, playing at City Field, home draw last night. Uh, New York is a miserable four, six, and five at home, and they'll have to beat the Revs Saturday and Charlotte on decision day to avoid a losing record at home for the first time in the Red Bull Arena era. But at the same time, their stellar road record means that they actually have the ninth best season in Red Bull's history, Red Bull's and Metro Stars history, uh, based on points per game. And so while it may not feel that way, because the Red Bulls have only won four times at 15 games at home, their their road form is doing them really, really well. They've got two home games. They've got two road games. You know, For my money, six or seven points should be enough to clinch a home playoff game. And as we know, the challenge is, do they really even want it? Because as I talked to Sean Nealis today in the Red Bulls presser, sometimes just the energy isn't there unless they score an early goal. Um, and and it really, Nealis told me that when they go on the road, they're very, very eager to take points away from opponents. It gives them kind of a unity and a high and a, and a focus um, and sometimes when they're at home, that doesn't happen. I mean, we've seen it all season. Against Philly, I don't think the energy was lagging, certainly not until they went down two goals against a team that's conceded less, fewer than one goal a game all season long. Um, but again, holding holding Philadelphia two goals, not the worst thing in the world. Um, we have to talk about the Drew Yearwood incident. Yearwood you know, had a moment of madness late late in the game. And he did something that you can't do and that as an athlete, and that's to harm a fan, harm a paying customer. And Yearwood knew instantly that he had made a big mistake, and he jumped into the stands to apologize. And that was the right thing to do. And while the folks affected may, you know, didn't really want to hear from him in that moment, seconds later, um, it was the right thing to do. And he was red carded, and he may be suspended further. I'm sure that he and the front office have have reached out to those personally, uh, to those that that he he hurt. And I'm hoping that everyone can put it past them. As usual, the Red Bulls fan base did not disappoint in tearing themselves apart, saying that either he should be banned from the team or he should be forgiven, and it's no big deal. I mean, if Kaku wasn't sent away after harming an away fan, I, I can't imagine that the Drew Year would would suffer the same challenge. Um, it, it, you know, Year, the thing is that Yearwood off the field is as lovely and mild mannered as they come. He's a guy that's just a joy to be around. At least that's my experience. And you know, on the field, it's a little different. And yeah, he was pissed. And I mean, you can't do that. He knows it. Uh, and hopefully, as I said, everyone can can move past it. All right, let's let's just quickly take a look at the East. Philly is on 60 points. They're not going to get caught. They're going to win the East. They may win the Shield. They have four games remaining, home for Orlando this weekend. And listen, um, you, you, I'm sure you know by now that Orlando won the Open Cup last night, beating Sacramento with three second-half goals. It's their first trophy of any kind. 
I guarantee you they are not going to care necessarily one whit what their result is going to be going into Philly this weekend. They, they may still be partying. So uh, that's a win for Philly. They're home, uh, sorry, they're at Atlanta, who is fading. They're at Charlotte, who won't make the playoffs. And on decision day, they'll host Toronto, who may, if they can get their active gear, still reach above the line. Montreal is on 52 points. That's five ahead of the Red Bulls. They also have an extra game to play. They're, they have uh, Columbus and Chicago at home. Uh, Columbus should be a playoff team. They're at the Rebs. They're home for D.C., who will be playing for the, the Wooden Spoon, and then they're uh, at Miami on decision day. I, I, you know, With the extra game, I, I just don't see the Red Bulls catching them. Um, Red Bulls, of course, are on 47. You know the schedule. Home for the Rebs, at City, at Columbus, and then home for Charlotte on the final day in the season. NYCFC... Um, is on 46 after that draw against Cincinnati uh, in Queens last night. They play earlier than the Red Bulls, so they will they they may move ahead of the Red Bulls as they are at Charlotte, or maybe not. I don't know, um, but their game will be completed, I believe, before the Red Bulls take the field. Then, before they host New York at Yankee Stadium in a Hudson River Derby. City has to play in the Campiones Cup at Yankee Stadium on the 14th, next Wednesday, midweek, and um, against Atlas of Liga Emekis. And there's bragging rights here, but given how bad the form is, I think they're winless in seven now, or one win in seven. That's it, one win in seven from NYC. I don't see that going well. I think that sets up the Red Bulls really, really nicely. Then they host Orlando, and they finish at Atlanta. And then finally, Orlando is on 42 points, five points behind the Red Bulls, but they have two matches in hand because their game, their league game uh, for this past week was moved for the Open Cup final. So Orlando on 42 at Philly this week, um, home for Atlanta, home for Toronto, at NYC, at Miami, and then they close at home against the crew. All right, so that just kind of sets up the contenders. I think New York is, in, again, in a decent place to get a home playoff game. Um, really, really interesting. I, I put out a survey on Twitter that said, what would this season be a success in your eyes for the Red Bulls? And uh, the choices were uh, host a playoff game, win a playoff game, reach MLS Cup, win MLS Cup, and it really was an, an interesting bell curve of results. By far, by far, the, uh, the winning um, choice was that New York had to win a playoff game in order for the season to be considered a success. Uh, I'm just kind of pulling up the results as we speak. Yeah, over 380 votes. Thank you. Twitter, 62% says get past the first round. And then it's really a wash of the other three, each with 14, 12, and, and 12%. So yeah, take a step further than you've taken the last three years. And whether you think that playing at home would deliver that or not remains to be seen. All right, let's get into Saturday's game. Saturday afternoon, can we say six is Saturday early evening? Very strange. Um, an old school 96er against the New England Revolution. The Revs are 9, 9, and 11 for 38 points. They are currently 8th in the East, just below the line. Um, and uh, they're 9 points and 5 places below the Red Bulls with a, with one game 
fewer played. They've scored 42 and conceded 42 in 29 games. The headlines for the Revs, um, obviously they won the Shield last year. They've been underperforming, but consider injuries, selling Tejan Buchanan, selling Matt Turner to Arsenal, selling Adam Buxa has weakened the team. They just beat NYC 3-0, and they're looking to get back on track at the right time and hopefully, uh, for them, make it over the line. Um, New England's ability to perform has really come down to the recruitment of replacement players. Um, Georgie Petrovich made seven saves against NYC. He looks to be the answer to Matt Turner, uh, his departure. Colombian winger Dylan Barrero, prior to his injury, looked like to have been the replacement for Tejan. But with that injury, Noel Buck seems to have emerged and become a bit of a starlet in New England. And, um, you know, when you think about it, obviously, it's it's Carl's Heel and Dewan Jones who have been thriving. Uh, Gustavo Bow is coming back from injury. Um, New England is eighth in the East away from home. They've only won three times, six losses, five draws for 14 of their 38 points. Here are New England's last five games. Most recently, as I, as I mentioned, a home win against NYC on the 4th. Uh, Bell, Buck, and No Neck from Nyack. Tommy McNamara with, with goals in that one. Before that, a scoreless draw against Chicago, um, in which the Chicago keeper saved a penalty uh, in the 22nd minute. Before that, a 2 1 home loss to the Galaxy, where Chicharito got the winning goal. Heel got on the board in the 82nd minute. Before that, they got smoked 4 0 in Montreal. And then before that, a 2-2 draw at Toronto where they allowed the game to be tied with a TFC goal in the 75th minute. It's the 94th meeting between these all-time rivals. The Red Bulls trail 33, 40, and 20. The away side has won the last two fixtures after many, many years where the home side were unbeaten in, in seemingly 20 or 30 games in the series. BWP is the all-time leading goal scorer for the for the uh, New, for New York against the Revs. No surprise. Andres Reyes, the current active scorer against um, against New England for the Red Bulls. Bruce Arena's most likely 4-2-3-1. Petrovic in goal. He's conceded 19 times in 16 matches with seven clean sheets. The four-man backline of Dewan Jones. The American with a goal and five assists, Andrew Farrell, who has been there literally forever. Henry Kessler, um, former Red Bulls Academy, with a goal. And John Bell with a goal. Um, so an all-American backline, which is really uh, a, something to celebrate, I guess. Uh, and that's that's the way Arena likes it. Uh, Matt Polster, former Chicago, with two goals as a central defensive mid. And Maciel, the Brazilian, with an assist. Um, on the right mid, as of left, uh, as of late, has been Noel Buck with one goal in five games. The ten is heel, six goals and eight assists for the season, which is not a great season for him. Tommy McNamara has been playing on the left, three goals and three assists. Former NYC, former former a bunch of things, and there's Gustavo Bo. He's only played fourteen times with seven goals and assists. Seven goals and a single assist. During today's presser, Struber correctly named Heel and Bo as the players to focus on, but consider that Heel only has two goals and two assists in his last 13 matches, and Bo doesn't have a point after coming back from injury just three games ago. He hasn't played 90 minutes. I believe he, one of those matches, he only played a half. He came in at halftime. So 
I mean, New England can beat you. You know, the, obviously the really, really strange game early this season where Ashley Fletcher, late in the match, puts a ball into the box and uh, it becomes an own goal win for New York, who would, at the time would have just been happy to get out of there with a the draw. Um, you know, these teams know each other, individual, uh, strong players. But, you know, given the fact that New York has not shown well at home this year, they're really going to have to push. Um, let's do the Eastern schedule matches for the week. On Friday, Montreal hosts Columbus. Montreal uh, you know, looks to win that game. Saturday at 1 o'clock, it's Charlotte hosting NYCFC. You're pulling for Charlotte here to um, increase the likelihood that New York will be able to avoid Philadelphia's side of the bracket. And remember, if New York finishes second or third, they will avoid Philadelphia until the conference finals because there's no reseeding in the MLS Cup playoffs. Um, at 730, a, a quartet of matches, Atlanta welcomes TFC to Mercedes-Benz. I, I, I think TFC has the edge here. Cincinnati uh, hosts San Jose, and Cincinnati's the pick. Philadelphia will beat Orlando, uh, put it in the book. And Chicago-Miami, this is a game that I, I do not care one whit about. I think this is a draw. I, I'm not sure that either of these teams are going to make the playoffs. And then our game, 6 p.m. start, the Rebs hosting, excuse me, the Red Bulls hosting the Revs. Uh, earlier today during the call, hold on, let's find the notes of exactly what Struber said. During the call, he said, questions on Amaya, Klamala, and Reyes. Happy birthday, Andres Reyes. Um, those players will be out. Obviously, Year would be out, which means Castres will play next to Daniel Edelman, our guest, in the central midfield. And, I mean, I'd like to think that New York's going to win this game 2-1, and I'm going to call it that. But I think this is going to be a grind. Maybe New York will do the trick where they stay in the hotel the night before just to give them the feel that this is a road game. I don't know, but they better pick it up. It would be the strangest thing for this team to have a losing record at home. Just would be baffling. And when you consider the the, the dreadful record that NYC had at Red Bull Arena and that Gotham FC had at the arena, I mean, the place where, where home teams go to die. In any case, when we're back on Seeing Red, we're going to talk to Red Bulls midfielder Daniel Edelman. Keep it here. You're listening to Seeing Red. Back on Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup. Red Bulls getting ready to take on the Revs. Always a tough assignment Saturday at Red Bull Arena. And we're very, very pleased when a player makes his first appearance on Seeing Red, and today it's midfielder Daniel Edelman. Daniel, welcome to the show. Hey, how you doing? So happy to be on and, and get a chance to talk to you. Yeah, thanks. It, the, the pleasure is ours. Um, I, I want to go way back to the beginning with you, back to Warren. Tell us a little bit about growing up in the household. I will tell you that I've recently heard that my son's high school coach played against your dad when they were in high school. So I want to know about what growing up uh, in the Edelman house was like for you. Really? So it was against Columbia high school, West orange here against West Columbia orange. High school. Okay, yes. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. That's so funny. Yeah. I mean, definitely at a young age, my dad had a strong influence on playing soccer. Uh, he, you know, played, played up until college. He was a player at Loyola, Maryland. So he was a big part of why I started playing the game. Um, yeah, I started out with my travel team from my town 
And then I think I just also just came from an athletic family. My mom played basketball for Loyola, Maryland as well. Um, she was, yeah, she was a Hall of Famer for wow. Loyola. Very yeah, she cool. Had, yeah, like 2,457 points, some, around there. Just around um, there, yeah. yes. Yeah, just around there, right? Um, no, so I think definitely growing up, basketball certainly helped me, you know, give you the skills. It's so important to play two sports or multiple sports at, at a young age. You know, they can, it can certainly help you. It's helped me now uh, in the soccer world. So I think the the childhood, even my uncle played soccer for, for UMass. Like everyone's um, very sporty family. And it, it certainly helped me sort of get into the, the soccer world. Was there a point where you had to make the decision about soccer or basketball? Was it, were you excelling at both sports as a young age? Yeah, no, so I played um, middle school or travel basketball. My mom was the head coach, like up until fourth to eighth grade. So that was probably the best, those are some of the best years playing, playing hoops. Um, but then I played high school basketball my freshman year. And that's when I had already, I mean, my decision for soccer was made at age two or three, but <laughs> I re- ultimately had to make like an official decision uh, after freshman year of basketball where I had to put that to rest and solely focus on the, 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 the soccer. So do you miss it? Do you play often? Yeah. I mean, I, I play in the backyard sometimes. My brother's, my brother's taller than me. He's like six one. So it's, it's tough to play against him in the backyard when we go, when we do one V one, but I love playing in any like free time. I'll, shoot some hoops because there's a park nearby in my house, play, play with some friends. So I, I, I do miss it, but I, I think I made the right decision. Yeah, I think Red Bull fans think you made the right decision too. So <laughs> uh, you you start a PDA uh, in your early – as a preteen, I guess, and yeah. um, you get called into the U16 national team. What was that experience like for you? Yeah, getting – I mean, first off, PDA, they did a great job for me, the, focusing on my development and – creating good good relationships with with me my family and I mean I I knew all the coaches there not just the the coaches who were coaching my age group um and then yeah then the national team uh, my first call to the U16 team that was uh that was a big step for me and that was a a pretty huge uh, accomplishment to to be called in for my first uh camp with the the USA squad this was like a, a big deal to me and the fact that you didn't have to be at an MLS club to, to get called in. Like PDA was able to help me, you know, obviously uh, I was performing at PDA and they, you know, doesn't, you don't have to be at an MLS club to, to get called in. It's, um, so I think PDA did a great job. I was, I was loyal to them uh, for, for a very long time until I made the switch to Rebels Academy. But um, yeah, the U16, we went over to Czech Republic. That was like my first international camp in Czech Republic for the UEFA development nations tournament um we we had won that but that was uh that was a great first tournament for me to sort of get to know the other guys around the country as well and sort of get uh, acclimated to the group um obviously as a youth player in this part of the country it is pda and the red bulls academy Uh, former player brian white who did that same route right played for pda and then came over here Uh, and then you get the jump to to red bulls too what was that like signing your first pro contract yeah, I mean, it was a great feeling. I mean, it's, it was sort of a, you know, like a mini I've made it moment. Like this is like a first stepping stone for me. And of course I want to keep going and reach, reach the stars here. But this is, a, this was a good first moment for me to, to sign this contract uh, with Red Bull 2 and realize that 
I was at PDA with the Red Bull Academy and now I'm signing a contract with Red Bull too. And it's like stuff starting to come together and it's, it's going in the right direction for me. And that year with Red Bull too, it was definitely a grind. It wasn't the prettiest of years in terms of results in the team. There was a lot of, there's a lot of downs, you know, we, we still had to keep positive and try to try to make light of everything and keep working, obviously not having a ton of veterans on the squad, but it was a huge year for me individually to, to mature as a, as a player and as a person. What, you know, obviously the, the two teams about to leave USL, but uh, we've talked about for years on the show, the fact that you were, that Rebels 2 was really boys against men playing, playing across uh, USL. Do you think that had a hand in your development? Yeah, certainly. I think it asked for me individually to to step up and take on more of a a grown man type of role within the squad because there were still guys younger than me who were on the team that I sort of had to take under my wing. Right. Uh, like like Sam Williams playing a similar position to me, Curtis Ofori, like those younger guys who are playing now. You know, Sam's at UNC, but those guys that sort of I had to provide an example for because we we didn't really have those those older guys on the team, the veterans. So I think it was a Another step for me to even like take into a leadership role. Like I got to wear the armband a few times throughout the season, so that certainly helped me to develop and sort of realize, okay, like we have, we're going up against Tampa Bay, who's got all these veteran players, older guys, and they're a really good squad. Like, how can I match up and, and be mentally focused to to deal with the pressure and these guys being legit players? Yeah, no, I, I agree. I'll, I'll be very curious how the the rebels to experience changes moving forward uh moving into to no. MLS next pro uh, nevertheless 2022 has been a, a phenomenal year for you daniel um you got 15 minutes in the opening win of the season at san jose what did um coach throwing you onto the field for the last few minutes do for your confidence yeah i mean it was it showed me that he trusted me and that was a great feeling for me that he could put me in to try and close out the game uh, in an important home home uh, or season opener uh, and in a way environment that was buzzing and it was a great environment to be around for a first game. And I was, of course, there's nerves stepping onto the field for the first time I debut, but I think he trusted me. I trusted the, the guys around me and my teammates and knew they were going to have my back when I came on. And at the end of the day, we were able to score when I came on and we closed out the win and got the, the three points. Uh, and the start of an unbelievable road run for you guys. Um, but And I want to get to that, but I also, obviously we have to talk about your experience this summer in Honduras with the, the U.S. U-20s at the CONCACAF Championship. Um, you, you wore the armband three times in that uh, competition. The U.S. outscored your opponents 31-2, to two, um, and obviously the championship and the Olympics and the U-20 World Cup. I'm just a phenomenal experience. Um, and again, you talk about being a leader that at a younger age, it's crazy to think of you as a young age, but a younger age um, at RB2, did, did, how did that help um, you get that armband? And what was that experience like for you? Yeah, I think the Rebel 2 season definitely provided new ways for me to become a leader and figure out that you can be a leader through communication. You can be a leader by showing examples on the field and where that's getting stuck into a tackle or make, just making plays and letting your teammates know that you're not here to mess around and that you're here to, you're here to play and you're here to win. 
Um, so I think that translated over to, to, to Honduras for me. And I was able to, to sort of be like, okay, I'm going to be the guy that's going to help the team, going to control the team and going to take responsibility. Cause I love that accountability that, you know, you're the guy that's got to make sure everyone's, everyone's doing their job and that everyone's staying connected on the field. When, when times are rough, you're going to make sure that guys are willing to suffer. No one's going to be negative. They're going to keep the, the positive criticism and, you're going to keep fighting un- until the end. I mean, it really showed in, in that Honduras game. That was probably what could be the, the real final for us to, to get into the Olympics since 2008. And we're going up against all those Honduran fans. Uh, it was pretty crowded actually. And, um, yeah, they're, they're, they're yelling stuff at us. They're, they're throwing stuff on the field, lasers being pointed and for everyone to have the mental strength to, to, to stick it out and, and get the three points in a, in a must-win game for for our country, it, it was really special. And, and I'd take – it's a cool moment for me to wear the armband in that game. Yeah, absolutely. And, and a real step forward, not that U.S. soccer hasn't taken some step forwards, but getting back to the Olympics, a, a, a major, major milestone in terms of the return of the program. Um Talk to us about your relationship with Mikey Varas. I mean, he was a guy that was installed for that U20 team like right before you guys left. And so um, to be able to gain his confidence to give you the armband. And I'm also just kind of curious. You didn't you didn't play in a number of the games. Was that were you platooning there with Cuevas? How did that work? Yeah, I mean, to start off, I mean, I met Mikey back in November of 2021 with uh, the Mexico Revelations Cup. And it was our first meeting together. So right off the bat, you know, we hadn't really known each other, you know, not really any sort of relationship yet. But I mean, as the camps went on, we, we definitely, we had, you know, one at IMG and then we had Argentina. I mean, we definitely grew a lot closer together and I began to like, I mean, everything that, that he preached and about the team, team values and principles. Um, yeah, I mean, he, he really focuses on, personal belief and, and motivation and, and teamwork. That's probably the, the, the things that he, he preaches the most. And, you know, it definitely helped me to, to see what he wants in a player and what he want, wants in a six in itself to, to be the engine of the team, to be a guy that's going to break plays up and be the most, one of the most reliable players on the pitch. Um, but I mean, now, um, we obviously have a, a huge World Cup coming up next year, so we're obviously going to continue to to build on every camp and every every session. But I, I really like Mikey and everything that you know he's given to the team and everything, uh, every approach he has with with the training sessions and all the camps. It's a lot of um, similarities, uh, just in you describing it between Varus and, and obviously what you have here with with, with Gerhard. Um, it's been a funny couple of months after a really, I think for the fans, an unexpected start to the season. And while the results and the efforts have been better, you know, talk to us about working through, which coincided with your installation in the starting lineup, um, the kind of funky summer that you guys had over about the span of three or four weeks and how you and Struber and the team have worked through it. Yeah. I mean, first off the team, we've the most important thing that at least the last few weeks is our mentality. I think in the, the, the summertime or the middle, everyone sort of tired, but 
um, the chemistry, it, it was like some days it was there. Some days you, you could see that it was a little off. And we've definitely been trying to, to work on in the locker room and on, and on the, on the, on the pitch, um, in training to focus on having that mentality that each player knows, okay, if this guy's going to make a mistake, the other guy is going to back him up and going to help him out. I think that's something that we're trying to implement into, into our style, into our pressing style and being sure that, you know, if one guy is not tuned in, then the whole system will, will not be the best it can be. So that's something that everyone's um, taken more into account in, in, in the matches and, and in, in training. But um, for me, I think it was definitely a, obviously a tough middle of the season. Wasn't really getting a lot of time. So I think it was mainly important for me to remain positive and be patient and realize, okay, my chance is going to come if I keep working hard, keep having my head down and, staying positive and being hopeful and that I just got to be ready for any chance when my jersey's called and the team's going to have my back when I get on the field and I've just got to do what I do what I do and not not overthink anything don't stress just play your game and that, that's that's the most important thing can, can we talk about the red card against Barca for a second can we talk about that tackle yeah sure walk walk us through that yeah I mean it was it was obviously a a a poor decision at the end of the day um, to 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 go in late. It was definitely a late challenge, um, but of course, you know, I'm not gonna back down from anything. Uh, it's obviously FC Barcelona. Like you going up against Lewandowski, I'm isolated playing right center back against Ansu Fati. But you take a minute, yeah, okay. Like I'm like, wow, this is these guys are right here. But then when the game starts, it's like, okay, just play. Like I can I can deal with this. I can play with these guys and. I think in the moment, you know, when I made the challenge, it was, there was no hesitation. And, you know, I'm obviously regretful of, of the tackle and, and the card that was shown. But again, I think I'm just want to get the message that I'm not going to back down from anything and be, be all in is that, you know, that's our remote mentality, all in, all in, all together. Uh, let's talk about something happier, the game winning goal against Miami. Talk to us about how that play came about. You have a big smile there. Yeah, no, it was a really special feeling to, to have my family there and attendance watching to, to do it for, you know, my, the club that I grew up watching, uh, stepped in front of the, their midfielder, was aggressive in the moment and realized I, I could push forward. And as soon as I took my touch, uh, you know, jumped up, popped it up, popped it up and it's on the half volley and was just focused on, took one quick peek and focused on putting the ball in the back of the net, uh, slotted it into the corner and, celebration and everything to my to the corner um no it was a, it was a great feeling something that you know I always remember for for the rest of my life the, the first goal especially just because it's you know I grew up watching this team and uh been to the arena since I was eight and nine years old so it was just a full circle moment for me I mean obviously the the parallels and the talk um your playing style in comparison to Tyler is something that the, the drumbeat just seems to get louder every time you're on the field. And um, I'm, I'm just kind of curious, you're on a two-year homegrown contract that ends at the end of next year. Where are your ambitions in terms of where you want to take your career? Yeah, I mean, right now, obviously everyone has their aspirations for the future, but right now I'm focused on finishing out the season here. And I want to obviously have a good, hopefully we make, make the playoffs and we can make a playoff run. Um, and then obviously I want to um, 
just continue to, to elevate my game and improve all aspects of, you know, the rebel, the rebel style and continue to be more aggressive. And then how can I be more impactful on the offensive end, getting assists and seeing about more goals. But I think, you know, the comparison to Tyler, of course, the jump to Europe, uh, whether that be Salzburg, Leipzig, it's always, always on, on mind and definitely something that would love to do in the future. Cause you know, you see Tyler Adams, he's the perfect, the perfect example for, going through the whole Red Bull Academy system and then now he's now he's Leipzig and now he's dominating games in the Premier League. Can this team call 2022 a success if you don't win a playoff game? Um it's a tough that's a tough question, yeah. No, I think um we've obviously shown that we can win on the road and that the Road Warrior, you know, franchise record. So, I think that's something that we can always be be proud of. We this this team that they have that no one can can take that away from us but I think it would definitely be a letdown if we make the playoffs and weren't weren't able to to win a first round I think we've all sort of put in so much work this season and yes it's been it's been a bumpy road for us at home and probably could have gotten some some results that um, some wins at home but it would be uh, it would be a shame if we we weren't able to win one but I think we're just gonna we're focused on closing out the season, getting, getting the most amount of points we can in these last, these last home stretch of games. And we're going to give everything for, for, for a playoff game. I think everyone, you know, it's a, it's a do or die mentality. We, we've talked about that this weekend, that that's got to be our mentality, even though we're in a good spot right now, we still have to play like that, that we're, we're fighting for our lives. Sean Nealis said today on the media call that often the energy isn't there at home. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that is? Yeah, I think it's it's difficult because I I look at guys and they they play away and even maybe for me too, but I think some like we just think that being a villain or, or going into an away game and you you want to ruin the the other team's environment and you want to be the guy that's gonna shut their environment down and and take control and. I think some some guys are we, we we like that more than than sort of uh, the home feeling, but I think both we can do both ways. It, it can be translated to home. I think we've just got to figure out a way to, especially at home, get that first goal, and our fans and everyone and environments just gonna keep us going, and we we won't let our foot off the brake. So I think, yeah, like Sean Sean said, the energy the energy is low, but we've had our chances, and I think that we if we put those away, way in the beginning and that's where our energy in the be- beginning i think is always is always top yeah. it's just a matter of fact of how we can execute and show a result of the energy daniel edelman wears number 75 for the new york red bulls daniel it was great talking to you getting a little to know you a little bit all red bull fans all the listeners certainly wish you all the best for the rest of the season and we're looking forward to that playoff win thank you so much and no, it was great talking to you and yeah we're gonna do everything we can this uh last last few games to, to clinch a spot and hopefully make a run in the playoffs. Fantastic. We've got more Seeing Red coming up after this short break. You're listening to Seeing Red. Back on Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup. Mark Fishkin here. You there. Joe Goldstein, hopefully back next week. Two emails, the first from a first-time writer. That's Dylan DeRota who writes, my name is Dylan, and I am a 14-year-old listener 
of the Seeing Red podcast and a big fan of Red Bull New York. I enjoy listening and would love to hear some feedback from you on the Drew Yearwood incident. I think it's important to feel passion from the players in the heat of the game and expressing emotion for the club they play for. Unfortunately, in this case, the ball struck a person in the crowd and it's turned into a big incident. Being in a soccer match in person comes with a risk of being struck with a ball, and I've had similar risks while attending games. The outrage of fans against Yearbook uh, against Yearwood, excuse me, is disappointing. My concern is that overreaction to these types of incidents could lead to a protective fence being built between the fans and the field. I'd love to hear what you think, and thank you for all your insights on seeing red. That's Dylan DeRota. Dylan, thank you so much for your well-worded and composed email. And yeah, I talked a little bit about it in the first half. I mean, I would hate to see a net installed to protect fans. Um, I think the ball goes into the into the crowd, certainly at the middle of the field, extremely rarely with the kind of force that you saw off of Yearwood's foot. I agree with you that um, in the immediate... Uh, smoke clearing time after the incident. I think a lot of fans got um, over the top frustrated with Yearwood. I think uh, everyone's ideas and points of view are valid. But I think when something happens like that, it's best to just let it sit for a little bit. And and obviously, look, if that was me and my family that, that got pegged from a ball kicked by a Red Bulls player, I would be, uh, I wouldn't be happy about it. Um, and at the same time, I'd like to think that once the incident was a little bit in the past, I'd, I'd, you know, I'd welcome an opportunity for the player to apologize to me. And I would hate to think that certainly, first of all, I would hate to think that any of the fans are, are seriously injured. I, I, I genuinely hope that's not the case. Um, I mean, because that would, that would just be dreadful. But, um, again, this fan base has a historic tendency of, of just ripping into each other at the drop of a hat. And, you know, there's the outrage and then there's the outrage of the outrage. And then there's the high and mightiness and then there's the gatekeeping and then there's the group think. And then I think everyone in situations like this, just like chill out for a day. I know, that is, like Twitter is a hot take machine. That's why it exists. Uh, I am not uh, innocent of providing hot takes in heated moments um, that after further review and some time may have felt a little differently uh, in the rear view. But that's kind of the nature of these things. When everyone has a microphone, um, it's hard not to look at something and react immediately forcefully. And it's hard not to uh, to respond that way. So... Yeah, I mean, again, Yearwood felt just absolutely, you could just see the concern on his face. He knew he had to leave the field, and he knew that this is an incident that's going to follow him for the rest of his career, frankly, more than any long-distance goal that he scored or more than any trophies that he wins. He's going to be the guy that injured his own fans, and that's that's dreadful. And again, I, I certainly hope that those affected are not seriously um seriously injured um but dylan thank you so much for the note i i really appreciate it and i would hate to see netting or webbing um added to the stadium here's scott six uh friend of the show mark and joe i couldn't call in a seeing red live but last minute 
Back to school errands. Pull me away from the Twitter machine. I will understand if this email isn't read on the pod. I do take slight issue with how Mark framed what it means to support Drew Yearwood in the aftermath of his inexcusable actions. Rather than a, a dichotomy between supporting the player or the fans, I can only speak for myself when I say that support uh, is about defending Drew from the ubiquitous and predictable online attacks that were often thinly veiled in racism. When I read things like that, like typical of that kind of player or unable to control his emotions or assault, especially from people who are not in the arena that night or who have ne- may never have seen Yearwood play a minute of football, it sparks the need to defend or at least support him. I don't think the family in question owes him or the club anything. I also support them in this unfortunate circumstance. That's all. Let's beat Arena this weekend and try to forget all this. Scott Six. Yeah, I mean, yes. Obviously, any sort of veiled racism inherent in people's comments about Yearwood and his behavior is dreadful. And as I said in the first segment, I mean, Drew is a wonderful kid. And and off the field, he has nothing but a sunny, jokey disposition. He has a winning smile, and he's very, very pleased to be a part of this team. Um, so, I, I mean, again... If, if you really believe that he should be thrown off the team forever, I would just point you to the experience of Kaku, who did something very similar, almost identical, to an opposing uh, fan and you know continued to play until he decided to slink away to Saudi Arabia. I also am eager to put this, um, this episode behind. And it's time to put this episode of Seeing Red behind. It's episode 509 of the show. I'd like to thank Zach Feldman for his contribution with the stats. I'd like to thank Dylan and Scott who wrote in. Uh, we'll be back with Seeing Red Live Tuesday at noon, as we always are on Twitter, in our Twitter space. And, uh, of course, we're pulling for the Red Bulls this weekend. I'm calling it a 2-1 win against the Rebs. And uh, we hope you enjoy the game. So, Joe, come back soon, please. Thank you for listening to episode 509 of Seeing Red. Have a good night, everyone. Thanks for listening to Seeing Red. Get us anywhere you get your podcasts and always at seeingredny.com. Has the winter season taken a toll on your tile, upholstery, carpet? Call Cyclone Cleaners, 570-726-6200. For all your carpet, upholstery, and ceramic tile cleaning needs, it's Cyclone Cleaners, also offering odor treatment and soil and stain guard. Choose the only cleaning company that supplies the water to clean your home and disposes of it when they are finished. Call Cyclone Cleaners to schedule your cleaning today, 570-726-6200.